Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Thank you, Julie, and the worship team. I could not have asked for a more appropriate prayer for uh, today's message than the words that you just sang in that song. Um, could you put those words up again? Holy, there is none beside thee. Open up my eyes in wonder, and then show me who you are, and fill me with your heart, and lead me in your love to those around me. Today, we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in Matthew chapter 14, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard the account of the miracle, it happens to be in all four Gospels, so there must be some significance about it. But the message I have for you today is exactly what we're praying for just in that song. So thank you, worship team. Um, we did not coordinate that. Uh, that is, I believe, the Holy Spirit working in their hearts and in ours today as we learn from Jesus, the Master, how he saw people. As we look at this miracle, we'll learn something about the compassion that Jesus had on his people, and then the challenge that he gave his disciples, and then ultimately something that we can learn about trusting Jesus with the resources that we have for something that he wants to do with those resources. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 14, excuse me, Matthew chapter 14, where we see the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and as I mentioned, it is in all the other gospel accounts, so I'll be bringing in some of the information from those other accounts as well. But let's begin by reading it. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. Excuse me. Thank you. Someone's paying attention. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened... And what's it referring to? Well, in the very beginning of Matthew chapter 14, that Herod the Tetrarch had heard the reports about Jesus and had thought this must be John the Baptist, risen from the dead. But when Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. How many of you have heard this story before? Most of you, yes, the great majority of you have heard this story before. Now, I just want you to remember, though, that in the lives of the disciples, this was the first time they'd ever seen anything like this happen. Okay, I want us to just kind of have a fresh look at it. It's like, wow, was this really possible? Did we just see what happened with what was just provided to Jesus? 
Because the world around us is needy. Many are drowning in despair because of the effects of sin. You see hunger and poverty because of selfishness, maybe not as much here in Denmark as in other countries, but many of us come from other countries where we have seen hunger and poverty. Child abuse because of anger and lust, and organized crime because of greed. So how do we normally respond when we see people's needs around us? Do we cringe? Do we avoid them? How is it that we feel? Is there compassion or is there indifference? And what is it that we do? Do we think about, okay, how can I help this person in this particular circumstance? Or have we just resigned ourselves to helplessness? Well, today I hope that we're going to see how Jesus responded to the needy around him and what he did then with the resources that were made available to him. It says here that Jesus healed the sick, but it says in verse 14, he had compassion on them and healed they're sick. See, the crowds had heard that Jesus was going somewhere, and they followed him there on foot. And then when he saw the crowd when he had arrived at the other side of the lake, he had compassion on them, and then he healed them. See, when Jesus looks at people, he sees them as precious individuals, each of them a unique treasure. Jesus is, after all, or Jesus was, after all, with the Father when the universe was created, and together the Godhead, it says, made mankind in our image. So we know that God has a name for all the stars. He knows the number of hairs on each of our heads, and the Bible also reveals to us that God cares for us. And each one of us, as individuals, is precious to him. And so Jesus looks at the crowd not just as a sea of faces, but those whom he has created, individuals who are loved and treasured. And I think you and I tend to see people differently than God. We see a crowd, all we see are faces. Everyone just seems to blend in together. We look at people from the same nation or the same region of the world, and we say, well, they all look the same, right? Same hair color, same height, that kind of a thing. And we often value people only when there's some economic interest to ourselves. You know, we might not pursue a friendship with someone until we discover that maybe they can give us complimentary tickets to some event that we'd like to go to. Right, then all of a sudden, hey, maybe we should be their friend because they can get us in places that other people can't get into. Or we maybe realize that they're a decision maker for a client that we have. Now all of a sudden, we're interested in the friendship with them. Or perhaps, for some of us, we find them attractive, and we're hoping that they might find us attractive, so suddenly we're interested in them. Or perhaps because they have actually cared for us. In some way, they've treated us as a precious human being, and so they've won our hearts, and therefore we want to treat them and respond with care as well. Now, it's hard for us to be just like God, of course, because he knows every individual by name. He knows the thoughts of each of us. And we're not like God in that way. I mean, we can only remember so many names, right? We don't know the personal stories like God does. So I don't think God expects us to know everyone's name and know each of their personal stories. But because we're created in his image, I do believe that God wants us to treat others 
as precious, as people made in the image of God. So even if we don't know their name or their personal story, that we still treasure and value them like God does. Love your neighbor as yourself, the Bible says, that that sums up the laws with regards to our relationships. And I know that all of you do like to feel treated like you're someone important, right? If you're given access to a lounge, hey, you know, it's kind of nice. Get all these extra complimentary things, right? You like to be treasured. And the Bible says that we should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I recognize that sometimes we would prefer to withdraw from others and just tend to ourselves. And that's understandable too. Sometimes we need a break. Sometimes we pour out of ourselves so much. But let's not make that an excuse to never pour out again. And yes, sometimes people are more demanding of our attention. But when people need us, do we consider them as precious like Jesus did? Because when we're like him, we'll respond to others' needs with compassion. And compassion is being able to feel another's suffering or their need. So hopefully, if we have compassion and we have the means to help another, we will respond to meet their needs. Consider that in our world, the hungry cry out for just a meager meal. There are orphans crying out for attention and loving care. There are the elderly and the sick crying out for a hand to help. And the street children cry out for a day that is filled with hope and promise. Do we ignore them? Or do we do what little we can just to change their lives in just a small way? Now, some of you may have noticed on Sundays here at FIBC, either sometimes before the fellowship hour, sometimes during the fellowship hour, sometimes even during the worship service, there is a beggar that comes here asking for a small handout. And some of us have tried to communicate with her in her own language that she is welcome to worship with us and to have some coffee and have some uh, cake in our fellowship hall, but that we don't want her to beg among us. And that is simply we don't want anyone of you to be fearful or in doubt about how to respond to her or others who may come begging. And so what the council has done is we've formulated some guidelines that we want to make available to anyone of you who may be interested in how do I handle this issue when the beggar comes to church. See, the guidelines will remind us that all of us were created by God to display his glory and image. Whatever your outward appearance is and whatever circumstances you may suffer under, you are created by God to display his image. And so is every beggar. And the homeless and the beggars are welcome. But the activity of begging is not acceptable in worship or fellowship. Just like we would consider you trying to sell something that you make or something that you, uh, part of your business and use the church for networking and, and uh, you know, increasing the number of your sales, we would say that that's also unacceptable as we worship and fellowship together. But you can help them without solving all of their problems by simply being nice and offer them a piece of cake and some coffee because that's what we offer all who come here. And we do hope to soon have some gospel message in a variety of language, uh, languages and a list where they can then find a shelter or a meal or health care, anything like that. And of course, last and certainly not least, you can offer to pray for them. But let's remember that everyone is made in the image of God and everyone should be treated as a treasure. Now I realize too, it is always difficult to know how best to help someone in need. And Jesus certainly knew that the sick among them needed healing. 
Sometimes it's true, people will take advantage of our generosity. And sometimes people will avoid responsibility for themselves. And the Bible condemns that kind of behavior. Sometimes when you assist someone, you're forever keeping them in debt to you. But I think that we can at least begin with a genuine compassion and then take the time to consider the personal stories so that we can then figure out what is the best way to help someone in need. And then I believe that we should also be more open-handed and willing to help while we maintain a healthy measure of wisdom. Yes, will we make the mistake sometime of being too generous with some? Perhaps, but rather one or too many times too generous than never being helpful to anyone at all. So when we look at this story, I believe Jesus is giving his disciples an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to look at people with compassion. And I think it begins by just wanting to know people's names. You know, sometimes we say, well, I'm not very good with names, right? That's just a way of saying, you know what, when we greeted each other just now, I didn't really care what you said your name was. You know, we didn't stop to pay attention that as I was greeting you, you told me what your name was. And I think we just have to switch our minds to that, to that uh, setting that says, as soon as my hand reaches out to greet someone and they're about to tell me their name, that's an important moment because I'm going to find out their name and maybe I'll find out more about their personal story. And if I care enough, then I'll remember who they are and not just say, well, I'm just no good with names. Maybe start there, maybe with the people that serve you in restaurants or people that you see all the time in your building or in, your, in, the, in the store or people that you uh, come across regularly in the office. Just pause and get to know their name, whatever their uh, position is in the building, the company, whatever it is, not just those who may have an economic interest. So I believe that first thing we can learn from this is the Lord's compassion, that he saw people as precious. But then notice what happens. Evening approaches. The disciples say, well, this is a remote place. It's getting late. And they ask Jesus then to send these people away so they can eat. But Jesus instructs his disciples to feed everyone instead of sending them home to eat. And of course, the disciples are wondering, how are we going to f find this much food for everyone? He told them that the crowd didn't have to go away. And only John records that Jesus was speaking directly to Philip when he asked him where they could buy bread to provide for the multitude. And only John records that Philip also balked at that request, having calculated that there was no way that they had means to provide food for this many people. And only John records that Jesus was actually testing Philip. Because John says that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do to provide for that multitude. And I believe that God sometimes tests our faith by giving us an impossible assignment. What will we do with an impossible assignment? See, God often exposes our weakness and our limitations just so that he can demonstrate his power and then receive the glory through us. Think about when he led the Israelites out of Egypt. God deliberately led them the long way to the Red Sea. He led them out of Egypt by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And he led them through the wilderness in such a way that made Pharaoh believe that the Israelites were wandering aimlessly. And then he hardened Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would regret having let them go and begin pursuing them. And we're told that the reason for God's deliberate and calculated actions 
in, four, in uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 5, is this. I will be honored by Pharaoh, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And how was God honored by the Egyptians who believed in other gods? Through God's victory over their army. As the Israelites marched up right to the edge of the Red Sea, and they had nowhere to go but through the sea. And what did Moses tell the Israelites? He said, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. See, the Lord had a plan all along to reveal what he was capable of for the Israelites to always remember in every generation that he led them through the Red Sea, an impossible situation. Do you ever wonder how many of the events that, in your, that are in your life were sovereignly orchestrated or lovingly permitted by the Lord just so that you would reach a very similar Red Sea where you had no other place to turn to but the Lord? Do you wonder if some of those things that are happening in your life today are intended by God right now to require of you to do as Israel did and simply stand by and keep silent just so that he can do what he wants to do and, he, and we get the taste of his glory. Consider also in the life of the Israelites that over the next 40 years, miracle after miracle they saw as they wandered through the wilderness in Sinai. Then at the end of those 40 years, Moses basically recapped all of those things that the Israelites had experienced as they wandered through the wilderness and seen with their eyes. And he says this, the great trials and great signs and wonders were intended so that they would know that I am the Lord your God. So all of those miraculous events that soon followed over the next 40 years as they wandered the wilderness was that the Israelites would know he is the Lord God. And it makes me wonder too, whatever the Lord leads us through to show us our own limitations, to bring us to that place in our journey of faith so that we can know that he is the Lord, that I'm not in charge of my own life. And as Moses then led them, God provided bread from heaven. And I believe that this account in the book of Matthew, with Jesus feeding the 5,000 and multiplying the bread, is supposed to hark back to the days of Moses. Moses was the first lawgiver, if you'll recall. And in many ways, Jesus is the new lawgiver, not from the old covenant, but the new covenant. And so Jesus feeding those multitudes is, un is undoubtedly a throwback to the feeding in the wilderness. Let me give you another example. I love the story of Gideon. I love it because God has specifically given Gideon a task that's impossible. God appears to Gideon, commands him to go and fight against the Midianites, and he tells Gideon, surely I will be with you and you will defeat Midian. Okay, that should be enough for any one of us, right? Whatever task that God says, I'm gonna be with you and you will accomplish it. And the Midianites were then joined by the Amalekites and other Eastern peoples who crossed the River Jordan and set up their camp to be on, on uh, Israel's side. Gideon sounds a trumpet, I'm, I'm sorry, the Midianites were joined by the Amalekites on the other side, but, in, but as Gideon sounded the trumpet, <laughs> as Gideon sounded the trumpet that sounded almost like that, <laughs> then the Abiezrites came to join him in battle. And there were at least 32,000 people on Israel's side, okay? Now, with 32,000 people, and with the Lord saying, I'm by your side, 
you would think that Gideon would say, okay, now we're ready. But no, Gideon first sets out a fleece. Okay, Lord, if this is truly what you want me to do, then tomorrow morning, make the fleece wet and the dew on the ground around it remain dry. So God does that. Now you'd think you're ready, right? No. Gideon says, okay, fine. Now give me one more chance. Tomorrow, make the fleece wet and the other ground dry, or the other way around, okay? And God does that. And then the next thing is, so that, I'm sure that that was then the time that Gideon says, now I know for sure we're going to win this battle. And that's when God says, okay, you are too many people. Okay, send home everyone who doesn't want to be here, basically. And it was down to 300, because all but 300 went home. And what was God's reason? In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. And I wonder as well, how many times in my own journey of faith, God has had to strip me of my own strength just to make sure that I acknowledge his strength and truly trust him and not myself. Because it is in our own weakness and in our own limitations that God then demonstrates his power. And what happens to our faith? It grows. When you consider even your own salvation and eternal life, God makes it absolutely clear that it is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no man can boast. I don't know how much clearer it can be that your own salvation and your own eternal life is a gift. And therefore, the life in Christ that we live today is also to be lived in faith in his power in us. What makes us think that now that we have salvation as a gift, now we can meet God's standard of Christ-likeness in our own strength? I don't know what makes us think that. But somehow we're deceived into thinking that, okay, I know I have to have pure thoughts. I know I have to have right motives. I know I have to have good attitudes. I know that I have to have speech that builds up instead of tears down. And I know that my deeds have to reflect his righteousness. So now I'm going to try to do that in my own strength. It simply doesn't make sense. Only when we fail God miserably and finally come to him and pray, Lord, help me. Help me to be patient today. Help me to have pure motives today. Help me to have the right attitude today. And maybe the reason we don't see as many signs of God's power is because we deliberately depend on ourselves. So let's get onto God's agenda for our lives, expecting that we will not have all the resources that are needed, just like Jesus says to them, you feed them. He gave them an impossible task. You feed them. How are we supposed to feed them? So if we acknowledge that we're now too weak to overcome our own limitations, our addictions, and our habits, and then we depend on God's grace every day, then maybe we'll see the miracle happen in our own lives as Jesus does what he wants to do once we admit to God our own lack of wisdom and are asking God, according to James, that he will then give us generously to all without fault. Jesus was testing Philip asking him to buy bread to feed the multitude and exposing then their limitation and their weakness so that he could then demonstrate his power. So let's take up the task that God has given us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, that is our task and it will seem impossible. 
How can we truly reach the gospel to the ends of the earth? But that's the task he's given us. And then just like we see here in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus says, bring them here to me. He directed them to sit down, and then he began distributing the five loaves and the two fish, and there was enough for all to eat. And I believe this tells us and the disciples in that day that we should simply trust in the Lord's abilities, not our own. Only John records that the source of the five loaves and two fish was a boy, a boy that Andrew brought to Jesus who had five barley loaves and two fish. And I like this about Andrew. I want to mention Andrew because whenever you see Andrew in the Bible, it's not often, but you see him bringing someone to Jesus. Ever since I discovered that, I said, I want one of my sons to be called Andrew. Well, sure enough, one of my sons, his middle name is Andrew. Because I love that about Andrew. You don't see him much. He's one of the 12. He is important, but not as important as the other 12, it seems. But the times that he is mentioned, he's mentioned bringing people to Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have that mentioned that someone says, I don't remember them that well, but I do remember that they were always talking about Jesus and bringing someone to Jesus. So Andrew didn't know how those five barley loaves and two fish could be useful to a crowd that size, but he brought the boy and the food to Jesus anyway. And let's not forget, Jesus was not only demonstrating his power to supernaturally multiply the loaves, but he was also satisfying a hungry crowd, a crowd who needed to eat. And Jesus can do much more with a few resources than we could ever imagine. So we ask ourselves the question then, what can I bring to accomplish what Jesus wants to accomplish in other people's lives. We tend to look at the practical limitations instead of seeing the possibilities. And then again, what we say and we do reveals what we actually believe. See, if we believe that nothing is impossible for God, then we'll come to him with those impossible things, right? I remember my kids when they were a lot younger, they thought daddy could do anything. And they thought that daddy knew everything they would come with one glove and say, Daddy, where's my other glove? As if I knew, because Daddy knows everything, right? Or they would come to me with something that's broken and say, Daddy, can you fix it? Because Daddy can fix anything, right? They thought I could do the impossible. But alas, they grew up and discovered Daddy can't do all those things. And he really doesn't know all those things either. And so now they tell me what I need to know, right? We are limited, but with God, nothing is impossible. Mountains can be moved. Barren women can give birth. Camels can go through the eye of a needle, and the rich can enter the kingdom of heaven. And more than 5,000 people can be fed with five loaves and two fish. And God wants to involve us in doing the things that will bring him the glory. God sees the possibilities differently because nothing is impossible for him. And he wants us to be involved in his activity. He doesn't have a different plan for making disciples of all nations, but calling the disciples to do that. And to love one another. And then we re receive the pleasure of helping one another and the blessing for being obedient. So we simply bring to God what we have. We might not have a whole lot of money to give. We might not have a whole lot of time to contribute. We might not even be very talented in the arts like others that we see. And we might not be good at a lot of things. 
But the question is, what is he pointing at in your life and in your abilities and in your resources that he's saying, bring it to me so that he can do something amazing with it? And it says here that taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. The original language for give, gave thanks is the word which we get the word Eucharist. Sometimes it's translated blessing or blessed. Clearly Jesus was blessing God. The same order of words happens when Jesus is breaking the bread with his disciples and sharing it at the Lord's Supper. That he first turns to heaven and blesses. And then he takes the bread and divides it up here he divided up so many times that there was plenty of food for at least 5,000. Soon we're going to break the bread as well after we say a blessing. And in the Jewish culture, it was customary for the head of the household always to say a blessing, which is the giving of thanks. And this prayer of blessing before a meal, especially the Paschal feast, was to thank and honor the God of heaven who provided the meal. Blessed are you, O Lord, our King, King of the universe, was a very typical blessing. And I believe most of us as well, before we eat a meal, we say a blessing. And that blessing ought to be a giving of thanks to the one who provided that food for us. Sometimes the way that some English translations, because they're not all perfect, it may seem they, they sometimes provide for you as though Jesus was blessing the loaves to multiply them. But in the original language, it says that he having blessed then he gave, he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and then the disciples gave them to the people. And then they gathered 12 basketfuls left over, as you know, and the crowd ate and was satisfied. And it's amazing then that Matthew also records that it was 5,000 men besides the women and children also present. And this reminds the disciples, I believe it reminds us as well, that God is able to do much more with what we have than we are. Maybe we can only provide a small meal to someone. Maybe only lend a helping hand. Maybe we can just sing the melody in the worship team. Or maybe we can just volunteer once a week and not twice. Or maybe we have just a little bit of money to give, but it's not the amount. With God, it's the willingness to sacrifice what you have. And I believe that he wants to simply astound us with what he can do, as little as we have, a few dollars a month to support a child in India, or a few used clothes to send to Kenya, or a few hours spent at a rehab center with stroke victims, whatever it is, a musical talent, a moment to spend beside someone's hospital bed. The disciples would always remember this event and this experience to remember what Jesus was actually capable of. And we have that treasury now in our hands in the Bible of all that God did in the life of Israel and all that God did through his son, Jesus Christ. So what displays of God's power are we going to seek? What are we going to come to the almighty God with that demonstrates to him what we really believe about him, that he really can do everything and he really does know everything, unlike most dads. Yes, God can even multiply bread and fish. I remember when my kids would ask, can I have milk? And I'd say, well, we have no milk. Okay, but can I have milk? <laughs> As if I could just somehow invent it. Well, with God, those things are possible. Can I have bread? Uh, there's not enough bread, but can I have bread? Yes, you may. 
God does know the answer to all the questions we have, and he can do more than we can ask or imagine. So as we look again at this feeding of the 5,000, I hope that we see that God looks at people not just as a crowd, but as precious individuals, and I believe we can learn from his compassion. And Jesus gave a seemingly impossible task to his disciples, and I believe he gives to us tasks that would in our strength be impossible. To set people free with the good news is a task we should accept because the Lord has also shown us that nothing is impossible with him, and if we just trust in his abilities instead of ours, then he will do something great. So what will you bring to him? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, it is amazing you have told us we can call you Abba, just like Daddy, that we can come before you with all of our anxiety because you care for us and that we should be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving that we should make our requests known to you. Lord, I pray that as we learn each day more and more to depend on you rather than ourselves, that we would see amazing things that we would forever remember. Things as impossible as crossing the Red Sea, things as impossible as winning over an army with just 300 people, and things as impossible as feeding that many people with just five loaves and two fish. Lord Jesus, we come to you with, with what we have. We offer to you our lives. Show us who it is we should love, that we might have compassion and demonstrate who you are to them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.